Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, it's all in the eye of the beholder. From your line of vision, are you on the ground staring at what can only be described as an unsurmountable mess of chaos, stress, and to-dos? Or are you feeling the fresh air of victory as you look down and survey all you've accomplished and what might be your next move? Transportation from one visual to the next is within your power and your perspective. You might have heard it before. The day starts and ends with you. This mantra isn't announcing your logistical whereabouts, but instead describing your power over perception. The start, and particularly your positive or negative acceptance, are up to you. At the end of the day, it's you who describes the sentiment of the day. Was it a good day or a bad day? Only you know. You have the power to move mountains with what you expect, what you project, and what you accept. Ready to make the climb? I've been talking about encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope, for over five years. It started with the revelation of encouragement and how that affects all creatures. Investing one's time, empathy, and positive energy can have a profound impact on the universe. Encouragement shouldn't be watered down to a go get a mantra or a slogan like just do it. It's important to understand what appropriate encouragement looks like and the power one produces when delivering authentic encouragement. I produced a couple of talks recently, and it dawned on me an overarching theme for everything I've ever talked about is power and perspective. I'm on a mission to help people understand the power they possess to rule over their lives. The golden combination includes one's perspective. With just a slight shift in perspective, your mental location can go from base camp to scaling the summit and back, and then back again. Hope I don't sound like a broken record here. Is that reference even still relevant? Uh, I hope I don't sound like a track stuck on auto-repeat. That's better. But it's important to truly get it. There is a monumental difference between powerless and empowered. Aren't you ready to regain control? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can change your brain. That's right. Words can change your brain, according to Dr. Andrew Nurberg and Mark Robert Waldman. Words can literally change your brain. This article was written by Teresa J. Bochard and found at psychcentral.com. In their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, They write, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Positive words such as peace and love can alter the expression of genes, strengthening areas in your frontal lobe and promoting the brain's cognitive functioning. They propel the motivational centers of the brain into action, according to the authors, and build resiliency. Conversely, hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of neurochemicals that protect us from stress. Humans are hardwired to worry, part of our primal brains protecting us from the threats of our survival, so our thoughts naturally go here first. 
However, a single negative word can increase the activity in our amygdala, the fear center in the brain. This releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which in turn interrupts our brain's functioning. This is especially with regard to logic, reason, and language. Angry words send alarm messages through the brain, and they partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the frontal lobes. According to the authors, using the right words can transform our reality. By holding positive and optimistic words in your mind, you stimulate frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. As the research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of the brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. A positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will lead you towards suspicion and doubt. Over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, and feelings. And they believe that the thalamic changes affect the way in which you perceive reality. Not only do the authors dive into the research, they also offer practical tips and tricks that you can put into your use every day. Things like a little secret that will change your facial expression in ways that will inspire trust in others. You can change the rate of your speech to influence how the other person feels. And you'll be able to use body language to convey more meaning than words can ever capture. They suggest that by just practicing some of these strategies for a few minutes a day, it can result in your thinking more clearly, enhancing your creativity, and being able to converse with others more authentically. Sounds like some pretty interesting stuff. And the fact that it's all based on scientific research, including brain scan studies, brings hope that we can all change for the better. If we just put our minds to it. Remember, knowledge is power, and not sharing with others is a huge missed opportunity. Did you know that you can get a chemical boost in the brain from encouraging others? Struggling to find gratitude or one positive sentiment for yourself? The power of encouragement to the rescue. Turn to someone else and encourage them. Just like your mama told you, sometimes it's better to give than to receive. It's called the happiness trifecta. Helping others triggers a release of oxytocin, which has the effect of boosting your mood and counteracts the effects of cortisol, that dreaded stress hormone. When oxytocin is boosted, so are serotonin and dopamine. Now, if your mama also told you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, well, then we might need to keep going here. Stacy Wiebe gives us ways to encourage others found at thelife.com. Encouragement goes straight to the heart. In fact, the word itself comes from a combination of the prefix en, which means to put into, and the Latin root core, which means heart. Knowing what a big difference encouragement makes in your own life, what can you do to help others to take heart when the going gets tough and the way feels long? 
Well, you could, number one, learn people's love languages, the special ways they communicate and understand love. Have you read that book? It's pretty insightful. In this book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman explains that not everyone's emotional needs are met in the same way and that it's important to learn to adapt ourselves to their needs. The five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. What is yours? Number two, if an encouraging thought comes to mind, share it. Don't let shyness hold you back. It may not have the same effect if you wait. Form a new habit. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. When you introduce someone, add a few words of praise for their abilities and accomplishments. You could also share how they've helped you or what is the nature of your relationship. It encourages people to be praised in front of others. You could send flowers. A surprise delivery makes any occasion or accomplishment feel more monumentous and is a tangible sign that you're thinking of someone else when they're not around. When someone is discouraged or hurting, offer specific practical help. If you ask, how can I help? The person might be at a loss to answer. It's better to ask, would it help if I blank or say I would like to blank? Send a note. Although most communication is more and more digital today, there's still nothing like receiving a handwritten note in the mail. Let people know that you're praying for them, lifting them up, or sending positive energy their way, whatever you connect with. The idea is to keep them in thought and on your mind. Make celebration a more regular part of your relationships. Celebrate one another's victories, large and small, with a note, a coffee get-together, a special meal, a congratulatory phone call, or just a high five. Be specific when you offer words of praise. It makes your encouragement more credible and concrete. You did a great job at what? I really appreciate what about you. I was really impressed when you did what? Realize the power of presence. Just being there can be encouraging. When you're with others, you're telling them that they are important. Write a letter of appreciation to people at work, your apartment manager, your child's teacher, or your doctor. Often, when we interact with these people, we're asking for their services. Take time just to say thank you. If you really want to encourage someone who gives you excellent service, write a letter of commendation to the person's boss. Touch is a powerful encouragement. Be sure to be sensitive in this area, though. Ask someone if they want a hug before you touch them. And be careful to remain above reproach in all your relationships. And also, be safe. When you see someone making positive changes in their life, affirm them. You seem to have a really great attitude about blank. It may be that I'm just starting to take notice, but I see that you are blank. Do you think that you're becoming more blank? <laughs> Tell people how they've encouraged you. Such an important part. Don't overlook that. It makes someone feel special when they know that their acts of service really meant a lot to you. 
I would also like to add a few simple ones that are easily overlooked. Make eye contact. Smile. Open a door. Ask someone to go first. Listen. And understand. It doesn't have to be a premeditated act of kindness to be encouraging. So many people I work with feel invisible. They don't easily connect and as a result feel ignored or overlooked, unimportant, and never heard. Investing time in another human being can pay the most rewarding dividends. Okay, we've been talking a lot about giving, but what about receiving? Everyone has heard that the glass is half empty, or maybe it's half full, and perception is reality. Well, the fact or reality is there's liquid in the glass, and it's up to you how you perceive it. The sheer fact that you have this choice is another way to demonstrate your power, the power to accept your perception or, if needed, change it. Patrick Buggy shines more of a light on this idea in The Power of Perception, Change Your Narrative, Change Your Life, found at mindfulambition.com. You might have heard this ancient fable about a farmer in a small town. One day, the farmer's only horse ran away. His neighbors came over to console him, saying, We're so very worried. This is horrible news. You must feel angry and sad. The farmer said, We'll see. Who can know what's good and what's bad? The next week, the farmer's horse returned, this time with a dozen wild horses following behind. The farmer and his son wrangled the horses up. His neighbors commented, Wow, what good fortune. How joyful you must feel. Again, the farmer said, We shall see. Who can know what's good and what's bad? The following day, one of the new wild horses trampled the farmer's son, breaking his legs. The neighbor then said, I'm so sorry for you. You must be upset with this terrible happening. To which the farmer replied, We shall see. Who can know what's good and what's bad? Shortly thereafter, the county went to war, and every healthy young man was drafted to fight. But due to his injuries, the farmer's son was not drafted. It was a horrible war. Almost every soldier died. The farmer's neighbors again congratulated him, saying, You must be so happy and relieved that your son did not go to war. The farmer replied, We shall see. Who can know what's good and what's bad? This fable of the farmer is confusing at first. It clashes with the common belief that life's events carry intrinsic meaning. Most people think of events in this way. Certain things are good and other things are bad. That's just the way they are. In this characterization, there is a one-to-one relationship between the event and your response. But as the fable illustrates, the link between an event and your experience is not so cut and dry. Events in life aren't imbued with universal meaning. Instead, it's your interpretation of life's events that dictates how you feel. Since all events are up to interpretation, a given life experience could cause you to feel one way or many different ways. The fable gives us an example of this in action. While the neighbors were swept up with the automatic judgments about what is good and what is bad, the farmer was careful not to get led astray. 
he knew that every event in life has multiple possible interpretations. Viewing life with this framing can be comfortable. If life's events are meaningless, what's the point? The point is this. Since life's events aren't imbued with universal meaning, you get to choose how you feel about things. You are in control of your life's narratives. In this way, you can understand the impact of your mind on daily life. Your mind has shaped and will continue to shape every experience in your life. Marcus Aurelius said, You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Choosing your narrative may be one of the greatest skills you can develop in life. With skill at hand, it doesn't matter what life throws your way because you can always choose the most empowering narrative. This way, your energy is not dictated by the randomness of life's happening because you can always choose a narrative that fills you with energetic aliveness. This isn't about fooling yourself by believing something that isn't true, nor is it about suppressing negative emotions in pursuit of positive thinking. It's about understanding that life's events don't have a fixed narrative. The perspective you choose dictates your experience, and you always have control over your perspective. Training this skill can be challenging and takes practice. That's because the brain has evolved to process things automatically. In any given scenario, your brain relies on a variety of heuristics, which are mental shortcuts, to quickly make sense of what's going on. It's a useful process that helps you limit the mental energy needed to navigate daily life. But this automatic processing is also what causes split-second perception about whether something is good or bad. Although some of these shortcuts have been conditioned since you were a child, they aren't set in stone. With conscious effort, you can reprogram your mind to interpret things differently. Mindfulness is a key element in this process. Dale Carnegie said, It isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you're doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It's what you think about it. Developing mindfulness helps you notice when your automatic responses are kicking in. It creates space between events and your reaction. So by cultivating regular states of mindful awareness, like meditation, you build the capacity to control your narrative. Here's what the process of choosing your narrative looks like in practice. Notice when you're getting swept away by automatic response to a seemingly negative event. Pause to collect yourself. Let go of your automatic reaction. Consider how else you might interpret this event. Choose the most empowering narrative. Go forth with enthusiasm. Here are a couple examples to illustrate how this might work in different parts of your life. You're walking home from work and a thunderstorm catches you by surprise. Automatic reaction. Rain is not good. Getting wet is uncomfortable. This is bad. Or choosing the imperative narrative. That was unexpected. Now that I'm all wet, I realize it's actually pretty calming and refreshing to be outside in a storm. My clothes get wet in the wash anyway. All I have to do is dry them when I get home. How about 
You feel great about your performance in a job interview, but you don't get hired for the job. Automatic reaction. This stinks. I really wanted that job. Maybe I'm no good at this after all. Or choosing the empowering narrative. It must not have been a mutual fit. If that's the case, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed working there as much as I thought I would. Now I can find a job that's truly aligned with my values and interests. Here's another one. It's your night to cook dinner, and just when it's ready, your partner calls and says they'll be an hour late. Automatic reaction? How disrespectful. Don't they know how hard I work to make this meal? And the food's going to be cold. Or choosing the empowering narrative. That's no big deal. The food will stay warm in the oven. I can use this time to read that book I've always wanted to read. (laughs) Marcus Aurelius said, Our life is what our thoughts make it. Life really is what you make it. When you understand that life's events don't carry universal meaning, your enthusiasm and energy are not held captive by the randomness of life's events. This isn't easy at first because the brain processes most things automatically. Many of your habitual reactions have been conditioned for years. But when you cultivate mindful awareness, you give yourself the opportunity to catch automatic reactions in their track and pick the most empowering narrative. Over time, this method of interpretation becomes natural. It's the way you see the world. love reframing negative to positive, and he's right, it does become automatic. One of the ways you can practice is to find the good amidst the bad, whether it's a life lesson or a far stretch. Making your mind produce the positive is the exercise. Have you ever been around a negative Nelly? Maybe you yourself struggle with a pessimistic way of thinking. If so, Take it seriously and don't chalk it up to the way you are wired. You have the power to change your thinking. Negative traps are so easy to fall into and tripping and blind will have you sinking instead of swimming. Recognize it's a struggle and make a commitment, a choice to make a change. For me, I don't want to give life and energy to a negative narrative. It feels like it gives it fuel to keep burning. Imagine the visual of those horrible forest fires. One spark can become a raging fire, burning acre after acre, mile after mile, destroying everything in its path. What if those were your words, spoken with disdain and free to burn? Speak about what you want to see in the world, not what you currently see. I heard this analogy. Be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. We all know the problems. Start talking about the solutions. I found some interesting ahead. ideas at Mental Health America, mhanational.org, getting out of thinking traps. It's so easy to fall into negative thinking patterns and spend time bullying yourself, dwelling on the past, or worrying about the future. It's part of how we're wired as human beings. We react more intensely to negative events than positive ones and more likely to remember insults 
versus praise. During tough times, negative thoughts are especially likely to spiral out of control. When these thoughts make something out to be worse than it is in your head, they're called cognitive distortions. Here are some fast facts. Of people who took an anxiety screen at mhascreening.org in 2020, 64% felt afraid, as if something awful might happen at least half of the time or nearly every day. Half of the people who took a depression screen at mhascreening.org in 2020 felt that they were a failure or had let themselves or their families down nearly every day. One study found that 85% of what we worry about never happens at all. Now, in 15% of the time, their worries came true. But 79% of people handled the difficulty better than they expected or learned a valuable lesson. So here are some common cognitive distortions. See if any of these resonate. Overgeneralization. Making a broad statement based on one situation or piece of evidence. Everything, right? Personalization. Blaming yourself for events beyond your control. Taking things personally when they aren't actually connected to you. Filtering. Focusing on the negative details of a situation while ignoring the positive. All or nothing thinking. Only seeing the extremes of a situation. Catastrophizing. Blowing things out of proportion. Dwelling on the worst possible outcomes. Jumping to conclusions. Judging or deciding something without all the facts. Emotional reasoning. Thinking that however you feel is fully and unarguably true. Discounting the positive. Explaining all positives away as luck or coincidence. Should statements. Making yourself feel guilty by pointing out what you should or shouldn't be doing, feeling, or thinking. So here are some tips. If you suffer from any of those, here's some tips to change. Reframe. Think of a different way to view the situation. If your negative thought is, I can't do anything right, a kinder way to reframe it is, I messed up, but nobody's perfect. Or a more constructive thought is, I messed up, but now I know to prepare more for next time. It can be hard to do this when you're feeling down on yourself. So ask yourself what you'd tell your best friend if they were saying those things about themselves. Prove yourself wrong. The things you do impact how you feel. What actions can you take to combat your negative thoughts? For instance, if you're telling yourself you aren't smart because you don't understand how the stock market works, learn more about a subject you understand and enjoy, like history. If you feel like no one cares about you, call a friend. Give yourself evidence that these thoughts are entirely true. Counter negative thoughts with positive ones. When you catch your inner dialogue being mean to you, make yourself say something nice to balance it out. This may feel cheesy at first, and self-love can be hard, so don't give up if it feels awkward in the beginning. Name things you love 
like or even just don't hate about yourself. We all have something and somewhere to start. Remember, thoughts aren't facts. Your thoughts and feelings are valid, but they aren't always reality. You might feel ugly, but that doesn't mean you are. Oftentimes, you can be your own worst enemy. Other people are seeing us in a much nicer light than we see ourselves. Are you starting to see yourself on top of the mountain? No matter what you're facing today, you can handle it. You have resources around you, a mouth to ask for help, a mind that can deliver patience, and the ability to soothe your stress. You are not powerless. What do you need today? What is the most important resource for you to feel healthy, whole, and encouraged? Sometimes when we give everything in our life the same level of priority, we become quickly overwhelmed. Giving us solutions instead of problems is Elizabeth Burke with How to Take Back Your Power and Regain Control Over Your Life, found at empoweredtherapy.org. Life is a nonstop juggling act with work, friends, family, kids, etc. And sometimes it can feel like the universe is against you. This is where anxiety kicks in, your mind spiraling and feeling like you've lost control. This is an unsettling feeling, but thankfully, there are steps you can take to regain that control and take back your power. When there's a lot of uncertainty in our life, which there usually is, our brains like to predict. We're wired that way to reduce uncertainty, which is why we feel best when we're in control. However, it's important to accept that you cannot control everything. And it only fuels anxiety to try to control things you simply cannot. But for the things you can control, here are 10 ways to utilize that control in your life to gain order. Take a step back. With so much on our to-do list, we often forget to pause and reflect. In our hectic lives, we get tunnel vision, and the only way to get out of this is to take a step back. Take some time each day or each week and look at what you have ahead. If you find this overwhelming, it's always helpful to write things down. That way, all the things you have to do won't need to take up space in your head because now you have it on paper. Prioritize. Now that you've been able to see what your day or week look like ahead of time, it's time to prioritize. Seeing that to-do list as a whole might seem like a lot, but when you break it down and categorize each item by importance, it makes it all much more manageable. Turn off notifications. When we receive notifications for every little thing, news alerts, social media, text, email, blah, 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 it can be difficult to get things done. The more distracted we are, the less we accomplish, and the more those to-do lists build up. So instead of letting the work pile up, try turning off some notifications. Obviously, not the ones that tell you to pick up the kids from daycare. 
You don't have to do this all the time, but just when you're trying to get work done or cross things off your list or relax. Don't be afraid to delegate. This is especially difficult when you're trying to regain control. But it's good to practice to let go of certain tasks. Start small and delegate things that aren't top priority. Because as much as we'd like to think we can, we can't always do it all. And that's okay. If there are certain tasks you can delegate to significant others or coworkers, a friend, do it. If it'll take a little bit off your plate and you trust them to get it done, then it doesn't hurt to ask. How about address big patterns? Sometimes there are larger issues we don't address that can lead to frustration with seemingly unrelated tasks. For example, if you and your significant other have been arguing and at the same time you haven't been getting along with a coworker, it could be that the relationship issues are bringing tension to the workplace. Although you're typically fine with this coworker, the dynamic has changed due to frustrations at home. Finding one connection can lead to several others. That could be avoided if you address the original issue. This can take some digging and perhaps some professional guidance, but it's absolutely essential, especially when you feel like you've lost control. How many coworkers do you notice come in with an error or something that they're dealing with they couldn't leave at home? And you know their snappiness or their sadness isn't related to the job at hand, but maybe something that they're dealing with. Make time for yourself. In the midst of all we have to accomplish in a day or a week, we often forget about ourselves. You're the most important thing in your life, and that's something to constantly remind yourself of. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't be the best version of you. And we need that best version of all of us to take on life's challenges. So when you think you don't have time to work out or meditate, carve that out in your schedule. If you want to meditate for five minutes at noon every day, then make sure not to schedule anything at noon. Schedule that meeting for 12.15 if you have to. But it's important for you and everyone in your life that you carve out time for yourself. Sort out the shoulds from the wants. What seems to drive us in life are the shoulds. We should do this. We should do that. But what do we actually want to do? The shoulds tend to be self-critical. When you don't do what you should do, you feel bad about it, right? But why should you feel bad about it? Try stepping back from the shoulds and replace them with some wants. This can be something small like wanting to cook more or something bigger like wanting more individual time in your relationship. Make sure to set an end to the day, even if you're not finished with everything. When we have a lot on our to-do lists, we could keep going until all hours of the night if we didn't stop ourselves. But it's important to relax and get eight hours of sleep than to knock a few things off your list. Make an effort to stop work at a reasonable hour. Whether you take that extra time to meet up with friends or enjoy some alone time, it's your time, so do what's best for you. Create a vision for your life. This one is broader and deeper than the others, but an important suggestion, nothing less. 
This is something you don't have to do every day or even every month. Every once in a while, when it seems like things are just building up and you don't know where to start, take some time to create a vision. Where do you want to be in your career? In your relationship? With your family? It's up to you. Don't think about where your life should be, but where you want it to be. Take this one step further by writing it down or creating a vision board. This way, you can hold yourself more accountable and actually see where your life could be one day. As we come to a close, let's cover the top 10 highlights from the show. Number one, you have the power to move mountains with what you expect, what you project, and what you accept. Number two, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can change your brain. Number three, a positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others whereas a negative self-image will lead you towards suspicion and doubt. Number four, it doesn't have to be a premeditated act of kindness to be encouraging. Number five, the sheer fact that you have a choice is another way to demonstrate your power. Number six, since life's events aren't imbued with universal meaning, You get to choose how you feel about things. You are in control of your life's narrative. Number seven, your energy is not dictated by the randomness of life's happening. Number eight, when you understand that life's events don't carry universal meaning, your enthusiasm and energy are not held captive by the randomness of life's events. Number nine, investing time in another human being can pay the most rewarding dividends. And number 10, you have the resources around you, a mouth to ask for help, a mind that can deliver patience and the ability to soothe your stress. You are not powerless. want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, recognize your power to choose perception, affect change, ignite positivity, and spread encouragement. Going from base camp to summit is all within your reach. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I